Hi, welcome to Nick Flanagan Weekly. I am Nick. This is Nick Flanagan Weekly. The podcast is named after me, but doesn't always feature only me. There are interviews sometimes. And today is one of those days. Today I speak with the very awesome Maggie May. Maggie May, we uh, are part of the same management team. And she... Uh, part of a live stream with, that we do at uh, youtube.com slash comedy on Avail Comedy's YouTube page. Uh, I, we get together. Everyone gets together. It's like all these funny comedians. I've talked about it on podcast before. Nine o'clock Pacific time Thursdays. And Maggie was always so funny and giving. And, you know, everybody is on that, in that group. But um, I'd never met Maggie before, so it was just such a nice surprise, you know, having such a cool new warm energy for, uh, whatever. We're not performing, but we are being funny, so I don't know what you'd call that. Radio? Who can say? Anyway, I asked Maggie if she wanted to go on the podcast, and she was nice enough to say yes, and this is the episode. It's Maggie May. She's Maggie May Haha on Twitter. Something similar on Instagram, I'm sure. And she's been on Conan O'Brien. She uh, made her bones in the Austin comedy scene. She's done a ton of comedy in, uh, sounds like, all over America and the world, frankly. And, uh, yeah, she just, it was just a really great conversation. It was super long, and I enjoyed every second of it. I hope you do, too. There will probably be a couple of things edited. So you will enjoy every second of what you hear, but I enjoyed every second of more than what you heard. So think about that. Chew on that fat. Smoke a fatty. Or don't. Here's Maggie May. This is my super hyper professional podcast style. I mean, you must love it. Into it. We really do them in Canada. We just uh, put up sort of a 2001 style monolith and you know, people heard it. Well in Canada. Y'all don't have podcasts. Y'all have conversations. <laughs> yeah. Um, so conversations with a lot of uh, things left unsaid. You know what I mean? Passive aggressive. <laughs> podcasts are like way more passive aggressive than, you know. <laughs> Maggie, look at us. We're having a solitary conversation here. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Maybe in our lives. It is. Have we met in person? I don't think we have. I don't think we have. I think, when did you move to LA? Um, three years ago. That was right after I left in, 26, in 27. No, I left in 2018, but that's a pretty, I left in like mid 2018. Okay. I was there early 2017, but I didn't meet everybody. Cool. It's hard to. Plus everyone's got like, you ever notice all comedians have like similar similar names? Like there's Maggie May, Emily Fay, probably another Mag- Maggie. I don't know. There's like, Maggie May, um, Mary Mac. I get confused for a lot. There's a Maggie May Field. Okay. There's Maya May. Yeah. It, it, there's a ton of us. Maya May just told me that she got called Maggie May on a Zoom show. <laughs> She was like, my name was right there. And I was like, yeah, they're not trying. I listen to a podcast called Democracy Now. I guess it's also like a new show. It's very left-leaning. 
it's very like old school revolutionary and uh but the woman amy goodman who hosts it always makes like hilarious flubs and uh the one that really got me the other day was like talked about a guest whose name was something denzel white or something and she goes uh you know george denzel washington white (laughs) (laughs) i love that she would just Things of Denzel Washington <laughs> so quickly, which is just those kind of loves. They just let her just Amelia Bedelia her way through having a show with them. Oh, it's amazing. Den- Denzel is really there's only one Denzel I've really know of. So yeah, there's. Yeah. I knew a Denzel. Wow. With I knew a yeah one of my friend's brother's name was Denzel, and I remember on the bus what he's uh, Denzel Martin and. The bus driver, like, we all had to fill out forms and stuff, like, first week. And he's like, who's doing a joke? Denzel and then Martin, like, the show Martin. And they were like, no, nah, there's a kid named Denzel Martin here. <laughs> he's like, oh, I thought someone was just messing with me. There's uh, Bus drivers always think someone's messing. Have you noticed that? Well, we usually were, but that one time we were serious. Here was the research I did. I didn't just do no research. What am I? What am I? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What are you, uh, a meme sharing Republican? <laughs> or Democrat sometimes. That too. That too. Uh, yeah. Democrats do that shit too. The Republicans are the ones who go, you know, they'll have a picture of like, uh, I don't know, uh, um, Obama somehow being responsible for Pearl Harbor. You know, they'll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plus, I did Pearl Harbor, too. (laughs) But the best terrible meme I saw from the left was one that was like, it was like, Pelosi calling Trump morbidly obese just got her another three years on the rent-free lease in his head. And then it had a picture of Nancy Pelosi with sunglasses on in front of, like, I think it was the White House from the 1880s, blowing it up. (laughs) I'm still mad at Nancy Pelosi for borrowing my headscarf without asking. <laughs> what did you think of that uh, great political expression? And the fact the only person who wasn't wearing one of those Ghanaian, Ghanaian rags was uh, Cory Booker. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm not getting dragged into this. I'm not being... Just the pic- looking at the pictures of them walking in to like wherever Congress is and just how smug they looked, like, yeah. yeah. It looked like people who went to Julie Tomo's Lion King, like in the 1990s or whatever. <laughs> you better wear this stuff. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. They were so proud of themselves. One of them had a picture of George Floyd. He's like, I've seen black people do this before. They bring pictures. And I was fully expecting one of them to have an airbrushed funeral t-shirt on, but they did not. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think that you're, I hope you're serious because I do think that's like the next phase of like Biden wearing like an RIP Tukey. Let me tell you this. Anybody running for Senate right now, if you wear an airbrush t-shirt of uh, Breonna Taylor, I'll vote for you. Well, yeah. I'll vote for you. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's, that's actually true. But you know, what if, uh, what if, uh, you know, uh, Ted Cruz does? Oh, then I'll vote for him for like 
so you think you could dance or something. I'm not specifying what I'm voting for them. Okay, good, good. Uh, you earn some kind of vote. Like even in one of those polls on Twitter. <laughs> Who sucks most? <laughs> Are you a Ted Cruz fan? You're from Texas. No, hell no. No. Uh, who is that? Ter Rick Perry? Are you a fan of... I used to work for Rick Perry. What? I worked in the office of the governor as a writer. Like a comedy? Like you were punching up his script? Yeah. <laughs> Can you just imagine? Be like, oh, no, 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 no. Add the word compassion. That'll be a gas, Rick. You're punching down his scripts. <laughs> um, but, wow, that's... So, okay, when you say you're a writer, you have, I can't even, even from watching your stand-up, I understand that your range of jobs that you've had prior to this seems uh, diverse, you know? Yeah, they, they don't call me Black Barbie because I'm cute. They call me Black Barbie because I've had all the jobs. <laughs> Who, uh, but also you do the voice of, uh, like, you've just been hired as the voice of Black Barbie. The which one? Hired as the voice of Black Barbie, which was just, uh, isn't that also the reason they call you that? Who calls you Black Barbie? Yes, yes, yes. That's why they, uh, Paul Mooney called me Black Barbie once. And so that's, that's the they I'm referring to. He's the only one. He is non-binary. So, uh, that is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm on the right side of history right now. He has a non-binary vibe, but I'm sure he would not let me. I have a problem where I say these really stupid things and, uh, then uh, black artists I respect get mad at me. <laughs> just imagining like Queen Latifah calling you up and being like, Nick, we need to talk. There are two artists I can think of in the short term who have been angry at me. Is uh, the rapper Baby Mother out of BBY uh, Mother out of Tennessee. And uh, She's cool. Her work's cool. And then just the other day, this rapper I like called Mr. Motherfucking Esquire. Uh, hey. He like got, he kind of like read something I wrote about the Dave Chappelle thing. Big mistake just doing that. But uh, it was on an Instagram post that my friend made. And I thought I had, I was just trying to convince her to watch it. And, uh, and uh, he was like, that's what you took from this? And then he had that ever so insulting emoji the most insulting emoji of them all the rolling crying laughing smiley face <laughs> own oh nick you have two rappers mad at you at all times different ones you got, you've got rap beef out here i do have i once mc paul barman back in the day was another one who's i don't know if you probably do know who he is He's a canadian out of ottawa no that's tom <laughs> Tom Green, MC Face, uh, organized rhyme, but no. Shad, you know Shad? I think he's cool as hell. I'm a fan of you know, my cousin is a Canadian Christian rapper. Oh yeah, what's your cousin's name? Uh, OJ the DJ. I don't know OJ the DJ, but that's really interesting. And it interests me as well that you have a Canadian cousin. How'd that happen? We keep it polite. Uh, my, my family lives in Brampton. Oh yeah, right down, we just had Indian food in Brampton like uh, a few weeks ago. I went to pick up a Dreamcast, Sega Dreamcast video game. And Brampton rules. I like Kingston a little bit better, but I also like Brampton. Why do you like King? Well, Kingston I like better than Brampton, but why have you been to Kingston? Tell me, tell me about your relationship. She used to live in Kingston. Ah. Then she moved. Got a historical prison. 
Really? No. Uh, isn't it funny, like, when a prison becomes kind of like a t- tourist thing? You know, people are like, oh, our prison's so historical. Oh, we got to go on vacation to that one jail. The, the most amount of COs have been assaulted in this prison. <laughs> it's just funny to me think of that as someone's, like, family vacation of like think of all of the murder and all of the injustice that happened here baby get in there let's get a picture of you next to that toilet that's the edinburgh uh visit right you go to edinburgh and people are like oh the torture garden you got to check out all these instruments of torture where in edinburgh scotland yeah 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 it's like it's such a beautiful city or at least one half of it is like incredibly beautiful the old part and uh but part of the old parts history is that, you know, there was like the Iron Maiden and people being drawn and quartered and, you know, pearls, oh, yeah. dragon's mouths and Nessie chokes him to death. Yeah. Oh, shoot. I forgot dragons were from Scotland. <laughs> I mean, I'm not 100% on that. But or, or Singapore. They're from uh, both. You know, it's like yeah. in China. With, it's, with the New Year's celebration, so I was like, okay, dragons must be from that. Maybe they just went to college in Scotland. Um, I, 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 uh, I want to go back to this Rick Perry writing job thing. Yes. Tell me about this. Um, so I worked in the constituent services. So I basically did like correspondence, but like big correspondence. So if somebody would write a letter and be like, hey, we are having our annual uh, watermelon festival in Kerrville or wherever town they were going to have it. And they're like, we would like for Rick Perry to come and talk because this is an 150 year thing. And, you know, this is 150th year. We want to do this. So we would like for Rick Perry to come and speak. And Rick Perry is not going to come and speak. He's just not. But you could write them like a proclamation of the day and then sign it, Rick Perry, or like a... Um, you either write them a proclamation or you like deem the day a certain thing. So like whatever they would send them for the day, I would write all of that. That's crazy. Copy for Rick. So did you get to meet Rick Perry a bunch of times? I met him twice. Was it killer? Did you invite him to the ranch? Um, <laughs> wait, what'd you say? Invite you to the ranch. <laughs> He one was when he came and visited our office like randomly one day um, and it was kind of a toxic office. So he wanted to go and meet everybody in their individual offices. And my bosses, um, they were like, no, we can't have them telling you what we do here when you're not here. So they had all of us meet in like a big circle, like in the main like area. And then he came in at the time there was like a Southwest Airlines commercial where they were like pretending to hula hoop. Right, and he walks in pretending to hula hoop, but there's he doesn't have a hula hoop, so he's just like swiveling his waist, and he's like, "Hey, like that Southwest commercial, right?" And he's walking in pretending to hula hoop. Everyone's like clapping, like, "What are we here for?" He spots me from across the the circle, and I'm just some, um, I'm like. 23, 24, you know, just minding my own business. He hula hooped over to me and they gave me a hug. And I was just like, I, I don't need to be here for this. Then hula hooped over to somebody else, gave them a hug and then gave us some little trite little speech, which he did say like, isn't it a great day? Aren't y'all happy to be employed? And I was just like, 
is a weird thing to say to someone upon just walking in and meeting them. Yeah. And do you think it was shade at you? Like, did you take it somehow personally? It was shade against probably a few people. A few people, they were probably being subtweeted by him in front of all of us. Didn't I couldn't believe that his ranch. Well, I can believe that his ranch was called that, but that's so terrible. What was it called again? Inward head. And then they changed it like 20 years ago. That was why his his presidential race was uh, cut short in like 2008, probably. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, it's like... He does all kinds of stupid shit. Like, you heard about when he like shot a fox, right? No. He was taking a jog. Okay. He was taking a jog and just had his gun on him, uh, like you do when you're trying to exercise, and uh, saw a fox, ran shot the fox and then continued with his with his fitness brutal brutal why are you vegetarian no but you don't i, like. I skew pescatarian that. yeah that's me me too although i'm eating a lot more vegetarian in the uh quarantine times you same know. here same here i'm eating a lot of vegan which i never cheese is expensive yeah, well, I cheat with cheese, but <laughs> I got really into uh, tofu scrambles. Oh, interesting. Very Austin circa 2007. I like yeah. it. Yeah, because I don't like eggs, but I like tofu scrambles. I like eggs. That's weird. Is that gross to you just to hear that? I think eggs just gross me out. They're weird. Like yeah. thinking about what they are. Like I read a comic about them and I was just like, oh yeah, no, this is gross. <laughs> so you grew up in Texas. You're from Texas. Mm -hmm. Proud Texan. Proud Texan. And what is the name of the place that you grew up again? Harlingen. Harlingen. Where is it located? Uh, you know the bottom of Texas, like that little tip at the bottom? I'm going to say yes. So like uh, Texas has like a weird shape, has like a flat top, and then it's got sides to it, and then it goes down on the bottom. What is that border state-wise? Mexico. Okay, that's the but that's not the El Paso Mexican border, right? No, no, no. The Mexican border goes like town of El Paso. Right. <laughs> so El Paso is near. Um, I think Juarez is there. Is there a connecting city? And if you go further down to the Rio Grande Valley, like right at the very bottom. So we are across from Matamoros and Reynosa. And were you going there uh, across the border regularly? Um, at times. Um, <laughs> the, thing about, um, the thing about Mexico is they like, the joke is that the drinking age in Mexico is can you see over the bar? <laughs> you know when you like i went to college down there for a year and uh, at the uh, they have like a ut system college down there and everyone would just go over to mexico you know because you know if you're not 21 a lot of high school kids also will go to mexico on the weekends and like you know party because you can get into bars down there sounds sketchy sounds yeah. rife for trouble i've had to as a as a college student going over there, I was going over as like a freshman. So I was like maybe what, 18, 19. But there were times where I had to like 
figure out how to get this clearly 16-year-old kid who's drunk in the middle of Mexico back over and with her friends. Man, that's cool. That's that's uh, problem solving. You 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 know, you probably learned a lot. Of- there were yeah, there were a lot of times where I was like right place, right time and you know, you have to do any bribes in Mexico? I know that can be a thing. Bribes? No. Um, getting back over was the thing. And, you know, I was... Because you, uh, you couldn't be drunk, and I didn't really drink back then, so it wasn't really an issue. But, like, they were a little bit strict on people coming back. Right. So, like, in the car, people would have to be, like... Um, on the way back, we would have to be like quizzing the drunk ones. Okay, where do you go to school? What's your name? What's this? What's that? Just in case they got asked any questions or whatever. But um, I'm happy to say that no one in any of my groups ever gotten take ever got taken to Mexican jail, which is good. That's game over. <laughs> my friend is is from Mexico, and uh, he likes to party. And I'm not saying every Mexican person does, but I'm just saying it seems like if you can go down that avenue, it's, it can be done there. I think there might be a, a easy access to cocaine, but I don't know for sure. But that would be something that seems to... to it wouldn't surprise me if there was. That seems like about right. I know in Colombia, uh, it's legal to have under a gram and... That, oh, cocaine? Yes. And because the amount of people that would have under a gram, especially tourists... Uh, would be high, most likely. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know. What, but if you go to a drug dealer there, I've heard, they uh, make you wait a second. And they need to get the amount that you're asking for because they don't have it on them. Because they don't want to get stopped by the gendarme, as the French call them. The, the oh, wow. You know, I went to, where was I? Um, El Salvador. Wow, cool. And I was uh, doing comedy for some naval, the Naval Air Force. It was like two of the branches put together. And they were talking about how, like, all of these, like, cocaine busts that they had done. And it's like they look from, like, wherever their satellites are and they look and see people who are, like, I guess smuggling it or whatever, whatnot. And one of them was like, the, the kind of shitty part about this is that the people who are like, you know, the kingpins, the people behind this, they're like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're like kind of getting people to do it and like, oh. what is it? You're like, you're like, the word is like escaping me. What's the thing where it's like, oh, go sell this cocaine for me or I'll kill your family? It's like kind of extortion or it's under under duress you know uh like threatening them yeah under threat you know and uh that is so believable and it's so brutal i mean things work so differently in so many different parts of the world and then also at its core sometimes it feels like every place secretly works the same like every (laughs) you know yeah in black market drive everything you know yeah because they were even saying, they were like, we can get the cocaine from them. We can, like, stop whatever's going on. But, like, the people that were, the people that are going to get in trouble are the people who got, you know, extorted into doing it or the people who have gotten threatened into doing it. So it's not as though we're, like, winning the war. I, I wouldn't say that that's, like, winning the war on drugs. I'm just saying that's, like, you know, 
uh, tiring drugs out in the third quarter. <laughs> You're um, not really winning. You just. Well, I mean, this is this thing about a lot of the movements right now. I'm super into uh, like all of the most progressive ones, uh, especially theoretically. But there is an issue where society has gone one way for so long that it's like, what are going to be the short-term um, uh, what do you consequences of say legalizing all drugs? Like that would be mm -hmm. at this point on some level decriminalizing, you know, is yeah. it would be amazing uh, in terms of just avoiding all of this uh, police assault and killing, you know, and also yeah. prison death and all the shit. And, um, but then what happens with that situation that you're talking about, where like cartels are making millions of dollars from essentially equal, uh, sorry, the, the illegal, you know, selling, selling of drugs, not the legal selling, but the tax free, you know, uh, yeah. our face, uh, <laughs> big on the table. <laughs> Um, what was the name of that uh, black mafia that's Atlanta I think uh, um, but you know like uh, Grand Theft Auto um, <laughs> you know all that Ninja Turtle crime yeah Ninja Turtle crime called in the UK by the way Hero Turtles they did not call it Ninja Turtles they called it Teenage Mutant Hero Teenage Mutant Hero Tales. I can't do a British accent. Uh, I thought I, I did it really good. Teenage Mutant Ninja Hero Turtles. Teenage. What about the Australian? Tales. I can do Australian a little bit. You got to do it in an undertone. You go, Teenage Mutant That's a good Australian, dude. That's a good Australian. <laughs> you sound like you're about to go get mad at a dingo for eating your offspring. Oh, I just wanted to warn you. It's terrible television here. <laughs> so, bring some of your own country's DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> your laugh echoed there. It was intense. Did you actually throw your voice during that? That would really impress me. Also, the no, me and Olive laughed at the same time. She has the same laugh as I do. That's amazing. That <laughs> She truly is your familiar. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're in tech. What, what are misconceptions people have about Texas? I've spent a lot of time in Austin. It sounds like you weren't. Uh, is Austin towards South Texas or it's kind of mid Texas or it's yeah, Austin is mid Texas. So it's maybe four and a half, five hours away from where I'm from. If you go to Denton, is that starting to get towards where you are or a different direction? Yeah, Denton is like North. Okay. So some of the misconceptions are the directions that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the big misconceptions is people don't realize how big Texas is. Right. Like driving across Texas, any of the ways is like, you can easily spend like 10, 12 hours driving from, uh, from where I'm from to Dallas is like eight or 10 hours. And then there's still like five more hours North to get to like, you know, Lubbock or whatever is up there. Um, I had a friend who, um, they were doing a show in Texas and they drove into El Paso. The show was in Austin. 
And they were so excited when they drove into Texas. They were like, we're in Texas, we're here. And they stopped, got drinks, and they were like, whatever, we're almost there. And like El Paso is maybe eight or 10 hours away from Austin. So like, they just didn't realize that this is like, Texas is like all the state. Yeah, it's like so many states put together. Is it bigger than California? Uh-huh. That's pretty big. Only state that's bigger than Texas is Alaska. Huh. And once it melts, it won't be. Right. It'll be smaller than um, Maine. Yeah. yeah. It'll be some Rhode Island kind of shit. Smaller than DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are they teaching you our states? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a state of... Uh, DeVito. <laughs> State of problems. Um, I have to ask you a question. Um, sure. We were talking about political parties earlier. What are political parties in Canada? Well, you know, we have um, a lot of, or, uh, I don't remember what the name of, of the type of party system we have. We have a lot. I mean, it's a parliamentary system, but so we've got... Um, God, I hate that I'm just like in my sound booth, not looking at you. It's still driving me nuts. But anyway, uh, we have the uh, liberals who are in power right now. Um, and that's Justin Trudeau, et cetera. They've, they're pretty much, it's funny. It's like a multi-party system, but there's only two parties that have actually been in power, which I'm pretty sure, which is just uh, the conservatives and the liberals. Uh, Canada has a problem where we just don't really make a lot of effort with names and we just name things what they are, you know? <laughs> I like that though. That's nice and nice and simple says what it is. Someone hear, like someone will hear a Republican. They'll be like, Oh, they're about the Republic. They're about, you know, freedom and minding their own business. And that's not the case. No. And, uh, and the Democrats are kind of like, you know, it's just, kind of means the same things, not really, but sort of as a Republican, it's like- Pretty much, pretty and, much. And then the animal aspect, very strange to me. Um, that is, that it's because I feel like in America, you kind of need a team to be behind. Like sports are our entire self-esteem. So they're like, okay, Democrat, Republican, what are their mascots? Like we want t-shirts, we want merch, we want to be able to yell like, <laughs> I think that they had plans of being like, yeah, go elephants or something. They really thought that that shit was going to happen and it didn't. Right. They thought that instead of uh, sports teams with their own identities, they'd just be, there would just be two teams per sport and they'd be the Democrats and the Republicans. Sports teams for, for physical science, uh, political science nerds. Well, I mean, they've really upped that now because now everything is like sports, whether it's comedy or, uh, you know, um, politics or you know debate is now like sports you know yeah, uh, yeah. and it's good job it's not just america but you know sometimes it feels like it's just america you know? some of the worst thinkers in the, the current western discussion are canadians so or the most really? malignant in my opinion or something whatever like uh got this guy stephen molyneux he's no good uh even crap lives in texas right now very annoying former comedian uh really. what's his name even crowder steven crowder 
but he's he wasn't a stand-up in texas he was a stand-up in montreal and uh, i see i see he did a voice on the show arthur and uh really and then he became this sort of like the comedy face of right-wing politics in the u.s and um is a drag he's the guy if you ever see those prove me wrong memes like yeah he would go on college campuses and be like you know communism you know is killing has killed more people than any other thing prove me wrong you know there are there are i hate that guy (laughs) i I mean i do too it's i hate that guy so much i i really need to find a way not to focus on these people because i just i just hone in and as things kind of keep humbling down it feels like you know i just get more frustrated at their existence because i just feel like there's so many people who keep complaining about division in politics and are being much more divisive and their only argument would be that the left quote unquote the left whatever that means is like more divisive but only because of their policy and only because of their convict their conviction is annoying you know whereas these guys are like we we are very pro life. Like you know, they they have these hardline policies that they're afraid to say or or something. And they'd rather, yeah. Sorry, what were you gonna say? No, it's um. What was I gonna say? Um. What was I gonna say? <laughs> um. Something about um. Oh, I. I kind of forgot it because I wanted to ask a question about something that you had brought up, and then I forgot the question I was gonna ask. Um. <laughs> It's, uh, we were talking about. Well, we were talking about politics and this division thing and the people who are. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and we were talking about like uh, the memes people want to spread and just like the, uh, I wanted to bring up like just how superficial people's knowledge on things are. Like the knowledge is superficial. So people have superficial knowledge about something and they still feel like they are owed a high level def- you know explanation for something that they can't understand in the way right yeah and also that their explanation uh, in a superficial way that always goes to like facts and figures or whatever is somehow but but not real ones necessarily like something ch- cherry picked as they like to say is like uh is which it did is that from George Washington or Isaac Newton? <laughs> Who's the one with the chair? Probably George Washington. He chopped down a cherry tree. Cherry picked. He picked cherries from the tree. He, he picked a tree to chop down. Yes. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, and, and the things I'm seeing, I mean, like the most recent frustration was, you know, uh, did you watch this Dave Chappelle thing? Obviously, I'm not going to talk about not it. Not yet. Interesting. Well, can't, uh, you know, he, he sort of takes down Candace Owens. And I guess I don't even mean it has nothing to do with the Dave Chappelle thing. But uh, she, uh, she said that thing about George Floyd not not being a hero or whatever, you know, and that you know, the black community shouldn't make heroes out of people who have problems. But it's like this guy was not trying to be a hero. I mean, that's the whole, the conversation is not about, it's the conversation should be about like the police community or whatever you want to call it, the, you know, making heroes out of people just 
making martyrs out of people because of you know their own actions like it doesn't have anything to do with the person you know that's the thing and it's like all of these little talking points and little memes and stuff it's just a testament to how easy some people are trick because like they'll always try to act like well if this isn't true then how come this and this and that and that and it's always some easy explanation that they're just too dumb to figure out and put in for themselves and uh Candace Owen, like, she's especially, like, she's out here arguing things that are things that none of us are arguing. Like, no one, like you said, no one is trying to say that, you know, George Floyd was a hero or that no one was saying that. That's not even the point of what we're trying to talk about. But if you're able to derail a conversation enough to where you can say something that does make sense to someone, because everyone's just trying to, just trying to believe whatever it is that they want to believe. Exactly. I, honestly feel like a lot of people are just trying that so if people see a black person that's saying oh well this person's not a hero they can then justify away and like dismiss the rest of the movement because they're honing on on the one thing that they want to pay attention to and that they want to believe because if they don't believe that and they don't pay attention to that then they have to think the alternative which is there's a lot of horrible lousy shit going on and i am not going to do a thing about it this is the government that i live under this is who I pay taxes to, and I have to come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to do anything about it. So that's way easier than like looking and being like, okay, this is a fallacy right here. This meme is a fallacy. What you're saying is a fallacy. And all of these things have nothing to do with the core underlying problem of it all. Well, another hypocrisy that drives me nuts, and, and I think this comes down to uh, a lot of people's dismissal. It's just so ironic how dumb so many of these arguments are. Like yeah. the argument about, oh, but what about Chicago? And it's like, yeah, fucking we know Obama and Rahm Emanuel like let Chicago down. And that it's 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 like we know that there is a systematic problem there. And do, if you think that the black, black community, which is its own, there's so many strange categorizations of, of races in America anyway. And like generalizations, in my opinion, but um like it's 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 it, that deny individualhood, you know, in a country that actually prides itself on the individual. But um, like uh, the the thing about that is this whole crazy conversation that again has nothing to do with it. Like like when when police brutality or that comes up, or the other guy who founded Blexit, which is such a funny name. <laughs> with with Candace Owens, I watched him just because some, I got to put myself through some of this, <laughs> so I don't feel like I'm just like you said, like just believing what I want to believe necessarily, you know. And he was saying, this guy was talking to this other schmuck, Dave Rubin, and he was uh, going on. It try, he's a former police officer, and he was going on about bootstraps is a huge part of it, and. Uh, in his defense of police officers and uh, the way that they operate, uh, he was like nine unarmed black men were killed last year or in 2019. Uh, you know, that's in infinitesimal, in like that's or that's minuscule. You know, that's nothing. And so many more white people are getting shot. And first of all, there's proportionately, of course, that's going to be true. Yeah. And secondly. <laughs> well, what about assault and, you know, what about, like, 
every harassment and profiling. <laughs> so like if like literally shooting an unarmed black person is like the absolute worst case peak of a whole bunch of things that happen. It's not yeah. it's yeah. just it's happening out of nowhere and people are like, Oh my god, you did that? Like this is a horrible surprise. Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like that's not it. Anyway, I'm sorry if I'm, like, just bringing up this shit. I don't really want to upset you. I don't know how often if it's this upsetting con- – like, you know, the, the big thing now, too, is people just saying, please don't talk anymore to people of color about race if you're white because they're fucking tired of it. They don't want it. They're not expecting it necessarily in a relationship with another human being of any type. Yeah. You know? the, the, the two that I'm not really about is – and I get it. Everyone's trying to, you know – make sense of things. A lot of people, things are being illuminated to them for the first time. Um, but the ones who message me to let me know that racism is here and that it's a problem and that I should watch out, you know, like the people who just now figured out that racism is a thing and now they're terrified for me. And it's like, bro, like I've been terrified for a while. Like you're, you're just new to this. Um, or the, the ones who, now have a bunch of questions who will go online and slide into my DMs and be like, well, I now need to know all of this stuff about race when, you know, we're both on the internet. We're both currently on the internet. You can go and you can find Google and you can get them to educate you. You can read stuff by people who've written books. And it, it's, it's just, it seems strange and disingenuous to me. And it, it leads back to the whole, like, you, know, you share what you want to believe. Like whenever anybody shares something by Candace Owen and that's supposed to be oh well a black person said this you know making it seem as though black people are monolith like we all believe the same like we all agree like we don't all agree we have different thoughts we have different things uh different mindsets and you can't go and find one black person and then think that what they say you know is a blanket for everybody you know i've had a bunch of white people i know be like well my my one black friend says i can say the n-word and it's like well, you maybe don't want to take that one person's opinion and like apply it, you know, globally. If you want, you know. And also, I think you know, just having lived through uh, twenty odd years of being an adult, it's like I can't lie. I had a period where I was listening to rap and like I, I, you know, if I was the, the these are my two two regrets or there was one thing I, the the one regret is if I would quote a rap song to my a black friend who was like we were friends and this is what a song I liked said, you know, I would not edit myself and it's like uh you know what like and I wasn't adding an R or anything. I wasn't doing anything, <laughs> you know, but it was yeah. like, it was, I just regret it. It's like, why, why would you do that? You know, like why add to any fucking awkwardness and stress? Because by the way, that's a go-to of mine that I do. Like just, just you trying to push until, you know, find out the line, but it's like, I'm just like, ugh, what was I doing? So ideally it's a way of people who have behaved a certain way in the past you know, can tell people who are still behaving this way that they might feel shitty about it, you know, in 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Anyway, I hope you don't think less of me for my thing, but you can, I understand if you Go ahead and leave this meeting right now. I take responsibility. Hashtag I take responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 
I just think that's not, even, that's not even the wildest that I've heard. Like just being black for so long. I remember I was telling somebody I was living with someone and she was talking about her friend and um, she was like, he just blo- broke up with a black girl. And I was in the other room. She's talking with our other roommate. And she was like, and he was so sad about it that he said, and she yells at me in the other room. I don't even know how she knows I'm in the other, yells at me and is like, well, don't get offended. And as I'm saying, don't give me a reason. She's like, oh, and he just said, uh, he's so sad that he wants to start telling nigger jokes. And I was just like, like. That's crazy. There are several things you could have said that, like, for, first of all, when you said don't get offended, I already knew that you were going to throw in the N-word. I knew that that was going to be the case. Like, every time somebody tells me, like, oh, well, at this, this is how people will tell me stuff. This is what it said. This is exactly what they said, so don't get mad at me. And then they'll fire off with the N-word. It's like, you don't think that I could have figured out some contextual clues as to what word that you meant or, you know, what the other person said without you saying it? And, you know, they always said it with some kind of smile, like, I'm a reporter in this situation. I have to tell Maggie what what they said and what happened. And I got to do it accurately so she knows. And it's like, I know, though. (laughs) That's like similar logic, you know, to what I was using on some level, except I was also sort of uh, not using that. (laughs) Like, no hard R's. Uh, (laughs) No, like, sort of mentioning jokes about (laughs) also i think like if intentions are a thing and on some level it's probably easier to forgive someone who is just bungling into saying those things i hope and you know like uh than someone who is like secretly maybe enjoying saying a word which maybe i was doing too but by the way if i was enjoying doing it it would full on be because I was trying to personify like musical artists who I thought were really cool, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to defend myself. I really feel like the next 40 minutes and there will be another 40 minutes of this conversation will be me uh, awkwardly apologizing, going back to like, well, this is why I did it. This is why I did it. And I won't be looking at you. I'll be looking to this void of like a um, sound booth I have created for my mic, which is backwards anyway. I'd be like, say every song that you set it in, Nick. Every song. <laughs> call up uh, those people you got rap beef with. Put them on the call. Oh, See I, what they think about it. When I used to be in bands, I would reference that kind of thing because it was, it was, uh, it was in the punk community, in in progressive circles. It's like the whole idea is, but you know, I'm actually like an ally or whatever. And especially with younger people, I think that's happening. One of the coolest things I saw, but it was very difficult, was like a guy who's in these great bands, and he, he's from Richmond, Virginia, and um, he was saying he he wrote he he wrote I grew up surrounded in like unmasked racism. Everybody was saying crazy shit all the time. And when I started being in punk bands and stuff, I found myself, you know, saying that kind of stuff sarcastically in a way of diminishing these people, but, and trying to be edgy and using symbology in albums that was like really uh, uncalled for just to be kind of get a rise out of people. And that was bullshit. And I'm sorry, you know, and it's like he's speaking on some level for me, you know, having been writing distinctively comic j- lyrics in bands, you know, and 
giving the thinking that and in my comedy when I was first starting too, you know, and, and thinking that gave me permission to almost go anywhere, which I think is actually a good attitude, but you really need to make sure be very artful about it. And even then it might not work, you know, it probably won't. Have you seen alt comics bend over backwards to try to do a joke where they can say the N word? Cause I yeah. have, yeah. <laughs> No. Is it a, there's a comic out of Austin, Chris Cubis, who says, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> he said about Louis C.K., he just, he's like, it's like he starts with the N-word and works backwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean. But that's a lot of people out there. They're like, I'm going to do it, and this is going to be edgy, and it's okay for me because I'm clearly not a racist, mm-hmm. and I am, you know, in an alt scene. I feel like the alt scene, the punk scene, all of those, like, non-mainstream scenes kind of have an affinity with like the black community because like rap is not or was not mainstream back in the day and so it was like all of these music types and people from subcultures that were like not in the mainstream you know we you know we we were able to see eye to eye on that but at the same time it's like we we're both we're all on the fringes but we're not all the same on the fringes and that's that's a that's a line that you know people eventually learn and people like eventually figure out yeah my friend was saying you know on on uh uh there's so many things i want to ask you about this is this is and also i love the tangents so it's just it's always and and i think you like tangents too i'm trying i love a tangent i love a good tangent um uh, you know is is uh i think with the desire to keep things underground or whatever um, exclusionary tactics are often applied, you know? So the idea of doing things that are so far that you're alienating everyone who doesn't get it is, uh, you know, something that has existed even in comedy, you know, a lot. And, and, and as a, older person at this point or whatever I am like it's I've never adjusted to the idea that the subcultures have kind of been obliterated by the internet and twisted into a new thing that I maybe don't fully get you know so so yeah I mean that that to me but again like it's intent is is one tenth of it you know and it's all it's like you you still got to think about like how it's going to affect people and especially affect people feeling, feeling welcome in those scenes who might yeah. be super underground chill people. But yeah, my, my friend was into punk and he was like, grew up in this place called Fort McMurray. That's like in Alberta and kind of like an oil town. It sounds rough. And uh, he was like, yeah, I was skating when I was a teenager and the cops would fuck with me, but they would always fuck with like the native kids, like way hard, you know, yeah. it's like, it's not about people having, it's not about the oppression Olympics or whatever these people talk about. It's about compounded difficulty. <laughs> That's the thing. That is the thing. And like, when I hear people talk about like, well, white privilege doesn't, it's not a thing. And I watched just the most moronic thing this morning. There was this guy and they were uh, quote unquote debunking white, uh, white privilege and it was just this like 17 year old white guy or young white guy asking his big buff black friend whether things were and they were like he was like white privilege 
well, I'm hearing that people were, you know, white people were kneeling in front of black people at the protests. How is that a privilege? And it's like, you, you just don't want to understand. Like, you don't want to understand. Everyone goes through stuff. No one is saying that white people don't go through trouble. White people go through all kinds of shit. Everyone goes through all kinds of shit. That's life. Things go through things in life. But to compound it with then being seen as someone who is probably going to commit a crime and, you know, just, I mean, everyone's showing their ass in America now. You see so many people, like, go and post on Facebook in black and white. Well, black people commit more crimes than white people. Well, black people are more violent. Black people are this. And so to be in that race and then have people think that about you on top of everything else that you're going through, like, that's where the, you know, like, and you, you get it. Like, you you're smart and you're Canadian. You understand that that's not a thing, but like a lot of Canadians, like I said, that thinking is, is deep in Canada. Don't get it twisted at all. Plus our native people are fucked. I, I appreciate you saying that. And <laughs> part of it is just because I have super low self-esteem. I'm very self-conscious and I say fucked up shit and embarrass myself all the time. Not fucked up racial shit particularly, but just like, I just never have total faith in what I'm saying. And I wish more people were like that. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. a confidence advocate. <laughs> yeah, like just I am. If I put something in in black and white, I at least try to make sure that like I like I'll hit Google to make sure that the word that I used is correct. I'll hit stuff and make sure that the things I'm saying. But just the unchecked stupidity that people will just spew. And just the paragraphs, if, if this pandemic has done anything for the American people, it's gotten us writing because the, no one can write a two sentence thing. It's just paragraphs of bullshit that they haven't checked or looked into something that they just heard from someone and they're just willing to put it all out there. And like, because they heard it from someone else and now they feel justified with their dumbass little opinions. Yeah. I mean, I, by the way, I feel like I should open this up by saying like your standup's very funny. I watched your appearance and I think it's, it's, it's really, it's really bright. You're very bright. And I, I can also tell that you are pretty, I mean, comedians are like this all the time, but you're very exact, you know, like you, like you seem like your phrasing choices and your dear stuff is all very, it's really good. I mean, I just, I, I, I just really liked it. And uh, I wasn't surprised that I liked it because uh, first of all, our shared management, I like everybody that she has, you know, that Jessica has and, and, you know, and, and uh, I didn't even know a lot of people that well, like I knew James Fritz, but until we did the zoom stuff, I didn't really like just making each other laugh this way is I've never, I've never experienced something like this with other, I know it sounds weird, but it's just like, because we're not on a stage because it's not a show. It, and because we're not at a sh- because we're not at a show backstage, it's almost better than a green room because we're not nervous that we're doing anything after. <laughs> That's the thing. That is the thing. That it's been those I've loved so much because I live alone, and so like. That's the time I can get together and hang out with people and I don't feel the pressure to like do any, I don't have to prepare anything. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to say anything. I'll just like talk and like stuff will happen. And, you know, I know that the people there are going to like crack me up as well. And I hang out afterward in case anybody wants to talk anymore. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Sometimes I catch somebody and be like, oh, I've got two questions for you. And then they have to talk to me for another 30 minutes. I want that, you know, and uh, I just, it's just that it's 12 o'clock for me when, when, oh, dang, yeah. you know, so I just can't hang as late, you know, cause it's just, I should, I stay up late most of the time anyway, but it's just, I'm tired and you know, it's you can stay on for as long as you can. Like I, I, I'm queen of falling asleep during Zoom chats. <laughs> I'll fall asleep and wake up in a Zoom room by myself. Like that. <laughs> That's like a blackout at a party or something. Yeah, it's awesome because like you can wake up and you're like, okay, well, I didn't do anything. Like I didn't throw up in front of anybody. I'm behind my computer. So of course. <laughs> so you are you are having cocktail hour during the pandemic then. That's, I am. Yeah. Me too. It's been it's been reduced. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I am starting to have a really hard time remembering what it is I do exactly, if I ever was funny, if I ever did stand up, you know, uh, how I'm going to transition to voiceover successfully, <laughs> uh, all kinds of shit, you know. It's the opposite for me, because throughout this whole thing, I'm like, oh, okay, well, if anything, I now feel very confident that I'm a funny person and that I'm, you know, good at comedy and that like, that's something that's in my wheelhouse. However, uh, is comedy dead? Well, and yeah. Am I going to have to go to nursing school to, you know, continue to live in a house? Right. Yeah. Or even just a, a, a box, you know, in the house. Now Am were. I going to have to go to nursing school to afford a box in L.A.? <laughs> um, are you going to have to, uh, you know, I, I don't have any improv there. I'm sorry. This whole void I'm looking into thing. <laughs> I'm like, maybe it doesn't work anymore. But, you're, you're literally yelling into a void. Yeah, that's that, that's, the, that's the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, you know, honestly, these these group hangouts with so many comics I respect and making everyone laugh and making a lot of people who I've missed laugh, whether it's like Paul Danker or, you know, uh, Paul Danky and, and Keister and, and uh, just everybody. It just is, it is encouraging and it does remind me that probably I can do stand-up. But I'm also, especially after watching that Dave Chappelle thing, I was kind of like, maybe comedy is over. But then my friend told me that Kindler's new album is very funny and uh, loving it at the time. Oh, okay. No, that are... makes me feel good. Like, I feel like... I don't think comedy is dead. I just think that it's in a coma for a while. Right, yeah. It's like, hopefully... Did you ever see that movie, Flight of the Navigator? Uh-uh. It's, it's a Disney movie from the 80s where this kid... Uh, something happens where he, like, go enters a cave. Or not a cave, but something happens where he kind of falls down a hill, disappears. And when he comes out of whatever he fell into, it's like two years later and he's been missing. And, all, and he's the same age, but all of his friends are like two years older, you know? And no, that, yeah. Is it like a formative age? Like he's no. 12 and now they're like in high school and 14? Yeah, yeah. That's what's so eerie about it is it's like such a small amount of difference, but it's this crucial difference for a kid, you know? Yeah. And uh, so he has to go into this spaceship to go back, this alien spaceship to go back in time. But but it feels like uh, we we that we can't go back in the spaceship, 
you know, personally as a culture necessarily, but comedy is going to wake up and it'll be two years later. And so all our, it's just like, where's it going to be into like, you know, when comedy wakes up out of its, out of its coma, like what, is it going to remember its name? Is it going to, you know, want to have like, are any of the buildings going to be still open or people still going to want to go to building? Like, I just, well, it have a huge incarnation. A beard, <laughs> like a thing. How long Santa beard <laughs> after two years? Are there sponge baths during the period of, of coma. But I, you know, I am interested. I think that there's a lot of things that are going to be pretty helpful. Even though I haven't done one proper Zoom. I guess I did like one Zoom comedy like thing. But you've been doing them, right? Mm-hmm. And how are those? it's it's pretty fun you just have to like completely change your expectation of what's going on uh (laughs) somebody was like oh you can't do stand uh stand up on and i was like no you cannot do stand up on zoom you can tell jokes but you can't do stand up right like like, a youtuber yeah Yeah, I just lower all my expectations and I tell myself that I'm at like a house party or I'm at like a, you know, at a meeting or something where they messed up and they gave me 10 minutes to hold court. And so I'm like trying to hold court in front of people and sitting on my couch, they're sitting on their couches and I just like, they're not laughing because they're not supposed to be. This is a meeting that I'm, you know forcing my jokes into and this is not the time and the place for it but i'm making people laugh at it like we lower your expectations like that you're like oh yeah this is fun it is fun to make people laugh at your house you know sitting on the couch and- i feel the same way i mean you know it's kind of like having that those again this conversational zoom fun time it's like i'm it's not like i'm preferring it to doing stand-up but the lack of pressure and the satisfaction of making each other laugh kind of does make and the participatory nature of it, the group nature, but it's not like a bunch of improvisers. It's, it's yeah. an interesting shift. And then, and, and you're making me think maybe I'd be a better Zoom stand-up than a real stand-up. Maybe. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I prefer Zoom stand-up because one, I don't have to drive anywhere yeah. or park. I to on pants. I just have to be cute from like really the neck up because i can lean forward and no one really knows what's going on down there mm-hmm. and three you have to leave drink as much as i want <laughs> i'm not gonna get into an accident on my way to my bed this is like an issue for me about stand up in la is like and anything in la is you can have so many wonderful experiences but the problem is you're driving there and back for like 15 you know 10 to 20 minutes so you have a, this, and then maybe you're getting mad at somebody while you're driving. It's like suddenly yeah. the joy and memory you had is, it's it's still good, but it's fucking yeah. heavy. You know, like there's so many other things around it that could just ruin the experience for you. So you have a great set, have a lot of fun, and you come out, you got three parking tickets on your car or something. Yeah, or or uh, you go out and like so you suddenly get cajoled into like going somewhere else. You know, so then you drive somewhere else and then you're hanging out and then, yeah, you know. And that sucks. I think I ruined my, I think I created bad karma for me once by, when I moved to L.A. because we were at uh, um, Jay's Bar. You know Jay's Bar? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It was a great. I like Cheese Bar a lot, and they have this really nice cheeseburger, you know, that they may have, and they have a day where there's a special on it. Yeah. Yeah, and we were with a t- table of comedians, and there was this like burger that was just there for like an hour. Nobody was touching it. By an hour, I mean maybe ten minutes, but it was still <laughs> an hour in comedy time. And I was probably like a little bit inebriated, and I was like asking someone, "Can I eat?" They were like, "Yeah." Then I ate it. And then someone was like, came back and they were like, what happened to my brother? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> this is why rappers hate me. <laughs> Same logic. I'm like, hey, that's what you took away from it? And you took a cheeseburger? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna ask mr motherfucking expire to come on the, the podcast you should you yeah. should well i'm i'm really like i'm so shy about asking people on the podcast and now i'm like uh you know in this period of time i i, I think my my choice is just like i don't want to first of all i'm kind of going mental just because first of all with the pandemic second of all with this Shit, you know, and and all of this, you know, uh, all the stuff that that brings out in people, all stripes and uh, stripes, <laughs> and, and uh, so I'm trying to kind of take a little break. But now I'm like, well, if I'm gonna have guests, I really, I've been, I've been very diverse in the past. I hate that word, but it's like I just want to shine a light on people I fucking love who are just like perspectives that are different with generally doesn't and this is like another fucked up beef i have with comedy why does everyone go why was there that period where people like women comics only talk about their their periods and black comics only talk about the difference between black and white people and i'm like well what do white comics only talk about i'll tell you fucking dick half the time like only like a marriage or something i don't know about when you, when you said fucking i was like yeah fucking that's what white comics talk about is fucking no yeah, and we're not <laughs> Put it. I don't even know how to do it. White male comics. None of us know how. I mean, porn. Those guys. I don't think. You know. You ever notice they're white, but then you see their dick, and like it's not white. And you're just like, I think they're fake. It's not that the dicks are fake. It's that the white is fake. I like that uh, people are uh, going through vitiligo just to fit a uh, to fit a nice category. Because the female porn stars are like, I don't want to be in the interracial porn. Well, guess what? You're getting tricked. Got You're in it. Brothers probably use gave the technology. Is that a porn category? White woman tricked into <laughs> interracial porn by a. By a light-skinned black guy, <laughs> Sean King. <laughs> light-skinned black dick—is that a category? <laughs> White-skinned big black cock. All righty, I'm uncomfortable now. <laughs> uh, um, okay, look, I gotta keep going. This is maybe this will be like the the, the final question will be a. Uh, it's not a question. I don't think I've asked you one question. I also want to know about you doing stand-up. First of all, you sound like you've done a fucking shit ton of stand-up. How long have you been doing stand-up? Um, 11 years. 
Right. I watched a clip of you and you said you'd been doing it for three years. Is this the same dog that you mentioned? I think you said, talked about your dog. I've had, I got this dog a year after I started comedy. That's great. Yeah. The dog you saw earlier is 16. You know, the little guys, they, they live a while. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. But, you know, only the length of teenager. Uh-oh. Oh, no. What happened? Do you have an appointment? No, I uh, gave my dog a little kiss and got lipstick on her nose. Oh, no. She just got groomed, but she's cute. See that little lip lipstick on the nose? Uh, yes, I do. What's, uh, what's your dog's name again? I, I mentioned it. Olive. 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 Um, so uh, you have been doing it for 11 years. That is uh, a long time, but also you've done a lot. That, that, it's, it's also not a long time for a lot of comedians. It's really not. <laughs> you seems like you've accomplished a lot of things. Was it? So you started doing it in Austin or in your hometown? In Austin. Why were you in Austin? I, I graduated from college in Houston, and I didn't know what else I was going to do. And so my mom kind of convinced me to look into pharmacy. She was like, you may as well go to pharmacy school. It'll be nice. You can be a pharmacist. And then you can do acting on the side because you'll be making a lot of money. So I went to Kingsville for a while to start doing prerequisites, moved to Austin because they have pharmacy school. So I was studying there and I got into pharmacy school, but in Lubbock, like Amarillo, even worse. It's like up north, you know, not great. Uh, so I just stayed in Austin and um, started acting and then started doing improv and then started doing comedy, stand-up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that distinction. Um, and and so, so you were acting before that? Mm-hmm. And so you've been acting since what? Were you, were you like a teen actor? Um, I mean, I, I was a like regional theater, you know, I did theater and, you know, high school and like junior high and um, college. I did theater. Um, I never, you know, nothing. I mean, I was in a reenactment on America's most wanted ones. I saw that in your IMDb. I saw that you played Tianisha. Tiana Martin. Tiana Martin. Wild. I, I uh, got the audition for that. It was weird. I got like, I got booked in that and in a film the same week. Um, and I walked into the audition room and I dressed like, like Tiana did in like the little thing that they sent us. And we just have the same body type. So I walk in and the guy was like, okay, yeah, you're hired. <laughs> so like, and the casting director was like, I, don't you want her to read for you? And he's like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And I read and he was like, okay, yeah, that was great. You're hired. And I was like, uh, those are auditions. I mean, this is the thing when you get an audition, it's most of the time kind of like that. Like you do yeah. whatever you do and they go, okay, cool. Can you do that to the left now? And then you do it and they're like, cool. Uh, you want to try it to the right? And then you do it and ah, great. Okay. See you later. And then you're like, that was nice. And then you get it, you know? Most of the time where it's like, not that, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Good story. <laughs> oh, he's a storyteller. He's a storyteller too. <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, those are also really funny auditions to get those ones where it's like true crime reenactments. That's like classic non-union audition style. Yeah, yeah. That one was kind of cool because like this was back in the MySpace days where like MySpace was like the thing. And I found the girl's family on MySpace because like they were going to be showing her story. And so I made friends with one of the sisters and then the brother saw the thing and then went and messaged me and was like, thank you so much for playing my sister. And thank you for like, you know, shedding light on this. And like, we really appreciate it. So that was nice to be able to live. That's beautiful. That's such a nice side effect of just getting a job, you know? Yeah. You were going to do it, but he wound up doing something that was... I guess help. So, so this is a terrible story. You played a murdered woman. Then I take mm-hmm. it was awful. Like she got, she got like uh, rescued in uh, Hurricane Katrina. She was like one of those people that had to be like rescued off of a roof with her daughter. Uh-huh. And then they moved her, and then they like everyone got separated. They finally got her together with her daughter. She was part of like a human interest group in Seventeen magazine. And then people just came together and they found her, got her together with her daughter. She moved to Houston. Everything seemed like it was perfect. And then like a year later, they found her killed on the side of the highway. Oh, uh, did they catch the killer? Um, I don't think they did. I think that people, I think that people kind of know they have an idea of who did it, but they haven't like arrested him. But the girl in the episode with me, they did like two in an episode. Um, it was a story where someone got like handcuffed or their hands were tied and they had to swim with their hands tied away from somebody. And the dude that did the thing, like he saw it and turned himself in. This is some crazy shit. John, the power of television, the power of John Walsh's empathetic, driven stare. Yes. I'm I've been the, watching America's Most Wanted since I was, like, a child. Did you grow up uh, watching Unsolved Mysteries, too? Um, not really. Um, the thing was they did it on Fox. When Fox first came out, they did Candid Camera. They did America's Most Wanted. And then they did Simpsons. And that was part of their, like, Sunday night thing. Yeah. I would watch Candid Camera. I would watch The Simpsons. And then America's Most Wanted would come on. And I'd be like, well... I'm already sitting here, and I still got popcorn and juice, so I may as well see what's going on around. <laughs> Was that Sunday viewing night? Did you have? That? Yeah, we had that too. And and before The Simpsons was out, we uh, watched Alf. And then as Alf. And then as soon as Simpsons happened, we transitioned to The Simpsons. There might have been some Cosby in between the two, but. I don't know. I feel like I watch Cosby and reruns mostly, you know, and um, yeah. yeah, I kind of, I kind of never really keyed into Cosby fully. I, I loved Fat Albert. That was my shit. But, but Cosby show, I was just sort of, there were just too many kids. I got like so confused. There were just so many different characters and the people they were dating. And you mean like all of the 19 grandfathers that they brought back? Yeah, there were so many grandparents. They were all jazz. Yes! <laughs> it's like, you mean to tell me all of your guys' parents were part of the Fab Five or whatever? <laughs> yeah, all of your grandparents were in that picture? 
<laughs> in that good time picture at the end with the <laughs> so just the Cosby family. <laughs> but admittedly, that was a very comforting show. And it really was very similar to Bill Cosby's stand-up to me, where like I literally had a hard time paying attention to the subject matter or the jokes. It was the musicality of his voice and the sound of his voice that I was really enjoying. But, yeah. So whatever, uh, let's just talk about Bill Cosby for a while, <laughs> even though we were talking about enjoying the Simpsons and uh, America's Most Wanted. You know, as Tracy Ullman actually, mm-hmm. Tracy Ullman show. That was we would watch that too. That's where yeah, we loved The Simpsons and and uh, and and uh, the Tracy Ullman was where we first saw The Simpsons, and it was like mm-hmm. now you watch it and it's like it's like my friends made a. Simpsons parody called Bart the General in the mid 2000s that's completely a broken version of the Simpsons and old Simpsons looks like that that's what's so amazing yeah yeah um so who are your uh live like when you started doing stand-up who are the comedians that you saw who you were like holy shit like because I I find people talk about influences but to me what the real influences tend to be are the people who you see who really pull it off like live in your in your scene or locally so so or even touring comics so so what were some instances like that for you if any um boston texas um we had a comic she was my best friend and just the way she could make i like when i can see someone set and i can see their thought process and they're not just throwing stuff out there you can see that they're talking very conversationally you can tell that they have like very intentionally put a punchline in with every sentence or that they're very intentional with their words. I like that. Um, LaShonda Lester, amazing. She was like that. I remember um, we have a contest in Austin, funniest person in Austin. Every year there's contention. Every year people get butt hurt. Every year people get angry at the winner. Like it's, it's, it's such a... <laughs> It's just what happens. People just get mad. People think that they should have won. Everyone's... I know Austin. Austin is a pissed off... uh, (laughs) That's us. Confident. The year that LaShonda won, she went on after me. So I I got off stage and then I think I went and got like water or something and I came back in and just anyone who would open the door, you would just hear a flood of... Like a flood of laughter coming. And I went and watched the set and every single line, I was like, afterward I told her, I was like, Brad, every line was a punchline. You were very intent. Like I can see the overall story that you're telling, but like you made sure not to waste a single line. You didn't waste a single word. And That's just the just being able to economize what they were say- what she's saying like that. LaShonda Lester just, I mean, she blew me away. She continues to blow people away. That that's uh, Richard Pryor for me too is like such a great example of that. Where it's like so it's conversational storytelling plus as I think people described some someone described like when you do different voices in conversations it's like peopling the stage or whatever, and uh, it's like I'm I'm with his recorded stuff obviously it's probably more but it's just so well thought out and organized you know and uh, yeah. Um, that's cool. That's a great first model. And I mean, do you have any other very memorable people like that? Or was it, I mean, who was around when you were starting out? You know, was it like, I'm trying to think of comics. I know like Chris Cubis, who you mentioned or Brendan. Yeah. 
I know lived there and uh Brendan Wallace was a big deal. He was he was another one that was like um very good at using his words to convey stuff, even you know such a good point, you know? It's like he's so interesting to me. He's really fucking conversational in his stand-up, but everything is a joke. And uh and that's that's super cool and because because it can float by you that way, you could almost say like I don't know, like it, it, it's almost subtle in a sense, you know, but yeah, yeah. I also don't think of him as subtle in the least, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. He's another guy I missed. Uh, I used to see him around all the time and, you know, obviously I can't, oh. I'm not in LA anymore. You know? Yeah. We had like heavy hitters in Austin. Like uh, Chris Fairbanks is from Austin. Well, he lived in Austin for a whole long time. Um, Martha Kelly is from Austin. Martha floored me the first time I saw her. Yeah. I saw her as well uh, at some point. She's just so, like, she's very calm in speech and just out of nowhere, she'll just, I mean, Martha can tell you a five-minute story and get you a punchline at the end of that story that's worth it. Yeah, she's she's a very special comedian, and her story, you know, is gives me some level of, of uh, maybe not hope because the weird thing is she was always a killer comic, you know, and and uh, it's just that her sort of life went in a certain way that kept her in Texas, and it's uh, amazing that she was able to get on baskets and be so good, you know, and, and just sort of see this upswing that was just so important. But yeah, Martha Kelly is so cool. And the Velve- Super kind. Love the Velveeta Room. And I, I performed there. It was one of the first places in the U.S. I performed. Really? Yeah, their mic when I was in Austin. Oh, their mic. Did you have fun? I, I had a great time. I don't know. This was like 2000 and honestly, 2003 or four, maybe. So oh, wow. it was not... I don't think it was as big a scene. So it was just the crowd was really cool. And um, there was a guy with a cowboy hat in the audience. I'd never seen that before. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just, you know, I mean, Austin to me was like a parrot. I just had the classic response of a guy in the two thousands to Austin and Portland where I was like, Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Oh, really this way. <laughs> but they're cool. Wow. You know, and, and yeah. So, so, yeah, like Velveeta was, was part of that. Even that type of comedy club, I don't think I'd seen sort of this street side, uh, you know, yeah. small venue that you just kind of walk into and it's right there. And it's like, it's the energy. Um, the Velveeta room can be brutal, though. Oh, I could pick, I mean, tiny rooms can it be. can be brutal. Ever. The open mic can be very brutal because people get barked in and they'll come and it's it's on 6th Street. That's where all the bars and the clubs are. So people coming by and thinking that it's just another bar and then there's some Yahoo on stage telling jokes and they can't dance and they can't yell and they can't, you know, it's just a little bit of a, people aren't expecting. And then the next door, the, the vaudevillian kind of review, that's a certain kind of humor. And so it's like the older people will come over afterward because you can get in free at the Valve afterward. They'll come over and just be like, yeah, this is not what I, this is not what I signed up for. This isn't like it was over there. This is what it, you know, to go from like sketch that's 
you know, news related and, you know, musical to a bunch of alt comics telling dick jokes. <laughs> okay, well, 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 I gotta say now that uh, I'm probably gonna have to leave in a second, but I want to ask you one last thing. But also, this is the kind of podcast where I have people come back. So if you ever want to go, I'm fucking freaking out, still quarantining myself, even though uh, stadiums are open. Um, uh, come back. It's fun talking. I will come back anytime you are fun to talk to. I live alone. I would just be talking to myself otherwise. So this was very fun. I had a great time. I will come back anytime you have time for me. Last question. I have all the time in the world for you. Um, last question is parents or doctors, from what I understand? Uh, one's a doctor, one's a nurse. Okay. And this makes them experts during the pandemic? Or does this just mean you have always had health knowledge uh, a little bit, you know? I've always had a lot of health knowledge. What are your t- pandemic tips for the people from a non-professional family knowledge? Um, my tip is don't assume that it's good enough, you know? Because a lot of people, um, I've seen a lot of people doing things incorrectly, and then they're going to run around and catch corona like it's Pokemon, and then they're going to think that they did things correctly. Like, keep your mask on your entire face. Don't put it under your nose. Don't put it under your chin. Don't sling it. You, if you're not wearing it correctly, you're not wearing it. Right. Wear gloves. Don't put those bitches in your mouth. <laughs> that defeats the purpose. You think uh, bitches too? I've always thought of gloves as bitches. Gloves are bitches. <laughs> <laughs> don't put the hose in your mouth. Yeah, don't. Uh, and and so so in other words, and also, I mean, this is my uh, question is just like, I think gloves are mostly necessary if you're like going food shopping, you know, stuff like that. I don't know if you probably don't need to wear gloves unless you're super immunocompromised, you know, on the street and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, I think what you're saying is just, just true. Like if you know you're going somewhere on walking and there's construction and you know it's narrow, wear a mask, right? Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. It is hard, though. Everyone is, is uh, like, I'm worried, even though everywhere is reopening. Even in Toronto, we are going to reopen restaurant patios next next week, you know? And it's just like, we don't have no cases. And no. I don't mean that colloquially. I mean, we don't have any cases. I mean, we do, you know. And, yeah, yeah so so, uh, so there's that. Do you have any other? I want to hear another one. Oh, yeah. Um you're not washing your hands enough. Love it. People, when you go out and you, if you're not going to wear gloves, keep in mind how much you're touching things. Oh, I touched a door handle. I touched this. I touched that. People don't keep that in mind. And I feel like a lot of people think that their hands are clean if there aren't physical things on their hands. Mm-hmm. And they totally forget, oh, I touched this doorknob. I touched that. I touched this. I touched that. My hands have germs on them and I can't see. So, uh, wash your hand every time you come into the house. Like, come into the house, wash your hands, and then be cognizant of if you're, you know, taking off your clothes or whatever, you're going to need to wash your hands again, too. And your hand washing is 30 seconds. Uh-huh. I've seen too many people, like, go and, like, clean off their fingertips. So, like, wash their hands for, like, five seconds or just get them wet and then call it a day. When you just get them wet or you just moisten up your fingertips, that just creates an environment for the germs on your hands to spread. You know, the warm water is just going to let them spread. 
and just let Corona get all over your hands. So don't sit out here and think that you could just rinse, rinse, rinse. It's 30 seconds. You gotta wash, all, wash the fingertips, your fingertips too, and your thumbs. Don't act like you don't touch stuff with your thumb. And then your thumb tip. There's a whole, you know, list of things on your hand that you need to wash. So you can't just do this. You just can't rub them under the water and think that you're clean and free because you're not. I love it. This is important stuff for people to know. Be safe just because people are reopening. Don't think stuff's going away. Nobody knows if the summer heat gets rid of it. There's a lot of hot places where people are getting really sick. So yeah, let's be safe. Yeah. Maggie, this has been a treat. You're fun to talk to as well. You're fun to talk to, Nick. Friends. Friends. Like in the old days, pen pals. Right? <laughs> we'll never meet. The borders are closed. I'll send a, an email to you later that says, how are you? I am fine. Love it. I'll hear the ICQ uh, popping noise and so retro. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And that was Maggie. Maggie May, to be precise. Thanks so much to her for doing the podcast, to you for listening. Your listening helps so much. It makes me happy. Uh, you can write me at weeklypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow Maggie May at Maggie May Haha on Twitter. And uh, she's got her Venmo listed there. So send her a couple bucks. Why the hell not? All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Oh, man. Nick. Oh, God. Flanagan. Oh, Weekly. Oh, man. Nick. Flanagan. Weekly.